15. We sing it today in affirmation of our call to witness and act for justice in our society and in the world. The tide is rising and so are we. Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. This morning we're doing worship a bit differently, as you noticed. This was actually the worship last Sunday in Kansas City at our denomination's annual gathering, General Assembly. As this gives you a, a moment to be with several thousand other Unitarian Universalists in a large hall and experience the worship of General Assembly and the energy and the messages of General Assembly. And so today will be uh, partially video and partially live here in 
Anchorage. So welcome, and let's do this experiment together. This, I believe, is the first time that this congregation has tried it, and quite honestly, it's the first time I've tried it. So we're going to all try this together today. And Ken Winterberger is our ace, uh, (laughs) AV guy, and we are sending positive energy to the AV gods right now. Those of you who come regularly know what that means. So, (laughs) but before we get going on the the rest of the worship, I do have a few things to share with you that are pertinent to this congregation. There's a lot going on in our world, and this week there was certainly a lot going on, as you know. Uh, One of the things that happened was a lot of attention being put on the family separation issue. And I see several people in this room who were at the rally yesterday. If you were, could you just raise? Yes. There were about, I think, 40 or so of us. And I know that there were folks that we didn't even see um, because we were spread out among the crowd. So thank you. Thank you for showing up and being part of that rising tide of people saying, no, this isn't this isn't how we want our country to be acting. We, we do believe in love and justice. And to that end, after the, the rally was over, several people came up to me and said, I have an idea about this, or what if we did that? Some of which were individual actions, some of which were collective actions. We're going to be having an ongoing conversation about that and organizing in various ways. Certainly keep tabs on your email blasts that will be coming out. But in the meanwhile, as a starter, I invite you to have lunch with me today. I am going to be having lunch at the West Berlin Restaurant in Mountain View. Why Mountain View? Because that is the community in Anchorage that has the most immigrants and refugees, the very people that we care about. And caring, yes, we care about what's happening at the border, but also caring what's happening right here in Anchorage and supporting our local immigrants and refugees is also important. Part of the way we get to start doing that is to be in their community. And um, so we will be eating in their community today. If anyone would care to join me, um, we'll, we'll talk about whatever, but mainly about what we might want to be doing. It's the beginning of a conversation. There are two other things I just want to draw your attention to. Also, stemming from the news this week, the travel ban affects our Muslim neighbors significantly, and we would like to send our love and our support to the local mosques. We know that their members must be hurting and scared and concerned right now. Talk about family separation. That's what's going on for them right now as well. And so um, we're, you're invited to stop at the social action table and create a note of solidarity for our Muslim neighbors. We will do this for two or three weeks to get uh, a lot of messages on those on those pieces of paper, and then uh, we will be sure to hand-deliver them to the two mosques here in Anchorage. And the other thing is that, unfortunately, as you know, uh, journalists are under attack, and literally this week, ones in Annapolis were literally under attack by gun violence. One of the journalists killed was Wendy Winters, 
a Unitarian Universalist from the Annapolis Congregation. She was a very active UU um, in that region as a whole and uh, well-known to that region. She was also their youth group advisor and was well-known not only to her, the youth in that church, but the youth across the um, Joseph Priestley district. So we'd like to just send um, messages of condolence, but also solidarity and support to our sister church in Annapolis. Again, after the service, please, please participate in those two. And so now let us begin this celebration of life, virtual life, from Kansas City last week. And, uh, and just know that um, this service will probably run an hour and 15. If you must leave, as always, if you have other um, obligations, feel free. But just know that that will be about the length of the service today. So with that, Ken. If you are an immigrant, a refugee, undocumented, you are welcome here. If you are Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Christian, Zoroastrian, Buddhist, a theist, or an atheist, you are welcome here. Whatever nation you call home, whatever faith is your own, you are welcome here. If you are gay, straight, or bi, if you are a woman, a man, transgender, queer, questioning, you are welcome here. If you have a disability, visible or invisible, you are welcome here. If you want for nothing, or if you struggle each day to make it through, you are welcome here. If you are heartbroken, if you are angry, if you are afraid, you are welcome here. And if you feel strong and powerful and you are ready, you are welcome here. 
If you hold a dream of peace alive in your heart, you are welcome here. Whoever you are, you, your whole family, all that you are, all that you carry, you are welcome here. For this is a community of diversity and inclusion, a community of love and of justice, and it is good to be together. Precious ones, we have gathered in faith, in spirit, in song, and story, and for worship at the 2018 Unitarian Universalist General Assembly. I welcome the Hassam family from All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, to light our chalice this morning. Good morning. My name is Kari Hassam, and this is my family. My dad, Dawood, my mom, Reagan, and this is my siblings, Khalil, Genevieve, and Samir. We light this chalice for our shared commitment to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. May the cup of this chalice connect us to our history and those who came before who, and who struggled to bring the practice of our faith into fullness and of its theology of love, liberation, and independence. May this flame of this chalice keep us attuned to the deepest calling of our faith. May its light remind us of the joy that is present in life, even in struggle, a joy that is the fullest expression of the liberated, of loving soul of humanity.
Once upon a time, on a day not so different than this day, in a town not so different than this town, a young man walked through the streets proclaiming to everyone that he had a perfect heart. 
And he invited everyone he met to gather with him in the middle of town so he could share with them his perfect heart. And a whole crowd gathered around this young man. And through the magic that comes with stories, a light shone through the man's chest and everyone could see his heart. And indeed, they were amazed. His heart was beautiful. It had this strong, regular beat. And it was unblemished. Not a scar on it. Indeed, it looked perfect. And then, all of a sudden, in the back of the crowd, there was a bit of a commotion. And the crowd parted. And an old woman, a grandmother walked to the front of the crowd and she smiled at the young man and she said, indeed, your heart is beautiful, but it is not perfect. Let me show you my heart. And again, through the light, the magic that is storytelling, a light shone through the grandmother's heart and all could see. And they were shocked at first. For her heart was full of scars. It had a steady, strong beat, yes. But it had pieces missing and other pieces placed in those missing spots. But it didn't match perfectly. So there were jagged edges. And there were deep crevices where it looked as if her heart had been broken. And in some places it was stitched back together, but not everywhere. And the woman said to the young man, Indeed, your heart is beautiful, but I would never trade with you. She said, Each place where there is a piece missing in my heart, it is because I have given a piece of myself. I have loved someone else, and I've given them a piece of my heart. And sometimes when they have loved me back, they've given me a piece of their heart and placed it there. But the pieces never quite match. And sometimes that love isn't returned, and so there is a hole that is left. And you can see where my heart's been broken by loss and grief and betrayal. Sometimes when there's been forgiveness, it has been mended. But there are still places where that forgiveness has not come fully. She smiled at the young man, and she said, The most beautiful heart is the heart that has been shared. And the young man was moved to tears, and he took a piece of his own heart, and he placed it in one of those empty holes in the woman's heart. And then through the magic and stories, a light shone through the chest of all the townspeople gathered, and they looked to each other, and they could see one another's hearts. And they could see the stories of their lives, the heartbreak and the love shared and the grief and the loss. And they saw themselves in each other. Now, some of you, as you came in, I hope you were given a fabric heart. And I invite you to think about what it is that you bring that is in your heart this morning. Both joy and sorrow. Maybe anguish, even anger. Maybe hope, 
and love and joy. And I invite you to be intentional about what is in your heart. And if you wish later today or any time, think about a way you might share that heart with someone else. As we share our stories and the realities of our lives in community. Examine that heart of yours as you look for the love deep within. There to explore beyond the surface for that love that's reaching and inviting your neighbor. Love multiplies when you share it. Please rise in body or in spirit or voice and let's sing together Busca el Amor. It's in your hymnal if you want to follow along. Lo que hacía el otro bien. Number one, one thousand. Cuando cambie el color del corazón y te estalla la flor, un pétalo del sol, el amor, lo que hace al otro bien, busque el amor en ti, se multiplica si lo repare ti. Busca el amor en ti, solo el que ama puede ser feliz. Busca el amor en ti, se multiplica si lo repartís. Busca el amor en ti, solo el que ama puede ser feliz. Good morning. 
I'm the Reverend Dr. Natalie Fenimore. I thank all of you for bringing in the sunlight. I regularly worship in a building where there are windows. I come to Unitarian Universalists from a testifying religious tradition, not a confessing tradition. I come from a tradition where you stand in the midst of the people and speak your pain out loud. You call the pain into the room and everybody in the room is called to attend to it. That is what unity is. That is what church is. We are all called to attend to each other, to attend to each other the way that we really are, not our passing selves. Church, faith, community is about building places where we can process pain and struggle as well as love and celebration. This is a strength in the valley theology. Unitarian Universalism has long turned toward a mountaintop theology, but you cannot really get to the mountaintop until you've been in the valley. You can't just skip over the struggle. As an institution, Unitarian Universalism has often done Easter without Good Friday. So Unitarian Universalism struggles with how we, as a religious body, as a people, can build a structure for learning how to hold pain. And I think that one way Unitarian Universalism tries to do that quickly is to sometimes cheat and steal it from other people's traditions. The harder the slower route is to be in relationships with communities who have been in the valley and to let them lead the climb to the mountaintop. To be in relationship with communities of color and other communities that the dominant culture deems marginal. These are things I have learned in the African-American religious community from which I come. These are things I hear from people in the Hispanic Catholic tradition, things I hear from the Muslim traditions and from the indigenous people of faith. This is knowledge and experience that can enrich Unitarian Universalism. When I am invited into Unitarian Universalism, when those from these other traditions are invited in, all that they have to offer must be invited in as well. When I have learned, experienced, what I have lived as a black woman, when it is not valued in this my faith, when it is hard to feel known and heard, it can break my heart. It can break my heart. It can break my heart. What breaks my heart is that relationships are being carelessly discarded with little to no desire of restoration, in part because of an inability or an unwillingness to listen deeply. What breaks my heart is that we collectively accept prisons, borders, and deportations like they're some kind of normal. Like locking people up in cages is something we can just all accept. What breaks my heart is religiously based intolerance, 
From the marginalization of Muslims, ongoing vilification of the Jewish people, the silencing and sidelining of women, the oppression and violence against people who identify as LGBTQ, religiously based intolerance causes vast damage. And Unitarian Universalists are not immune to our own forms of religious intolerance. What breaks my heart is Unitarian Universalist congregations in decline. Often at the heart of this decline is an incessant no to new ideas, a failure to adapt to changing times, and fear of taking bold actions. What breaks my heart is that we are divided by fear. We do not look to one another. We do not deeply listen. We do not remember how truly connected we are and how much we need one another. What breaks my heart are the well-intentioned gestures that fortify the walls and further the gaps in our justice work. What breaks my heart is how each new act of violence feels almost like a body blow, adding to the mountain of harm that somehow must be redeemed. What breaks my heart is the failure of white allies to fight for reparations and for the lives of black people suffering from sustained American genocide. My heart is broken by all that is life-negating and dehumanizing in the world. Injustice, oppression, and apathy toward human suffering, and the willful destruction of Mother Earth. What breaks my heart is that we are good at naming the problems, but when it comes to us personally, we all want to point the finger at someone else. But no problem can be solved until we own it. And we means you. It means me. It means all of us. We've been called to hear our pain. I now invite you into a moment of silence, meditation, or prayer. Spirit of life and divine, divine love, called by many names and no name at all. We call out to you and to one another to heal our broken hearts. We human beings are fragile creatures, our hearts so easily broken and scarred. Grief and pain and conflict separate us, one from the other. We are crying out. Can we hear one another? Can we feel the pain of black mothers whose sons are targeted for being black sons? Immigrant and refugee children separated from their parents. Students fearful of gunfire in their own schools. Those still suffering in Puerto Rico and the Caribbean and Houston. What about those who cannot even safely drink the water from their own taps? May we hold ourselves accountable because it is not just these times but all times. May we be held accountable to justice in all times. May we open our minds 
to each other's stories. May we perceive each other ever more clearly. May our hearts enlarge to hold each other's pain and joy. May our bodies entwine in embrace as we journey together. We call out, we reach out our hands to you, spirit of life, and to each other. May it be so. Amen.
so beautiful. My fellow Unitarian Universalists, it is such a joy to be with you this morning, to be called together once again. This General Assembly represents the completion of one year as your president, a role in which I was charged to not just be a leader, but to also be a pastor in these difficult and painful times. All times. Not just these times. I've experienced this first year as one filled with incredible gratitude because it is a gift to serve our faith in this way. It has also been a time of enormous heartbreak and challenge and urgency. A time where we are called to bear witness to so much pain to make room in our bodies and our spirits to hold so much of our own pain. To acknowledge the past we are coming from and to do the work that enables us to create a new story and a new way of being from where we are now. Last August, just days after I arrived in Boston with my family, having packed up everything and moved from Phoenix, Arizona, the call came for faith leaders to show up in Charlottesville, Virginia. Local faith leaders, including Unitarian Universalists and our own Reverend Christina Rivera, called others to join them in fortifying an effort to stop white supremacist violence from descending on their town. I didn't hesitate, because at its best, our faith teaches us that the humanity of every single person is threatened when we let those who dehumanize go unchallenged. And because I know that it is not enough to intellectually want to change the world, then shrink when that call challenges us to take risks, to show up, and to sacrifice in order to protect one another. It was important to show up and follow that challenging call at the heart of our faith to embody fierceness and the fierceness of love in the face of hate and violence. Being in Charlottesville was terrifying and traumatic. All who were there, I believe, still hold the trauma of that day. A number of Unitarian Universalists were injured on the streets. Heather Heyer was killed. We're coming up on the year anniversary of Charlottesville. And the news cycle every day moves on. The latest shock or tragedy or atrocity but it matters that we not forget what happened in Charlottesville in August 2018. For it revealed explicitly both the roots of the realities of today as well as what is at stake. 
The violence and dehumanization that undergirds racism, white supremacy, patriarchy, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, homophobia, transphobia, and xenophobia were all on full display at that white supremacist rally. Every single one of those things. Awful words, threats shouted at people. It made the power and renewed boldness of these movements these white nationalist movements in our nation, undeniable. And it revealed the federal administration, the police, and the state's complicity and protection of these movements. Now, I want to be really clear. This is not about individual police officers. This is about an entire system of policing. And I want to be specific about what I mean about complicity. The night before the rally was to take place, white supremacists marched through the campus of the University of Virginia with fiery torches. They marched through the entire campus. They assaulted members of the Black Student Alliance. And they marched on to the Presbyterian Church where faith leaders were gathered in a peaceful worship service in front of the doors so people could not leave that worship service. Throughout this, the police were nowhere. The police were similarly absent as men with long guns marched in front of the Charlottesville Synagogue during services, shouting hate-filled Nazi slogans at the faithful worshipers. And in fact, the synagogue had specifically asked and been told that they would be given police protection, and no police showed up. The next morning, the police again stood back, far from the crowds. We faith leaders stood face to face with well-armed white men, dressed in surplus military gear, long guns, and hundreds and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. A right-wing volunteer militia supposedly policing the event. And then, when dozens and dozens of white supremacists came marching down the street, chanting and yelling with shields and helmets and bats and sticks coming right at the faith leaders gathered by the park. The police moved back. Violence only started when anti-fascist groups stepped forward to protect the faith leaders when they saw the police were doing nothing and would do nothing. It was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, to see that level of armed white nationalist violence, and it was terrifying to see it go completely unchecked by police. And I own and want to name how my shock reveals my own white privilege. And hear this, my own assumption that the police are in the business of protecting me, my body, my safety, that is not an assumption that everyone gets to make. 
In fact, let's just take a moment and reflect on the fact that the police largely stood down to give space for armed white men to carry out intimidation and violence throughout the community of Charlottesville for days and compared this to what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, when unarmed black people came out to the streets to protest and mourn after the killing of the young Michael Brown and were met with a militarized police force armed with tanks and tear gas. This is America. This is the United States. This is the disparity that brings into sharp relief the reality that Black Lives Matter organizers and immigrant rights organizers have been naming for years of the racism and broader system of white supremacy deep in our nation and deep in the foundations of our system of policing. This is not about individual officers. This is not about bad apples. This is about a system of policing that has been set up to preserve order in a system that is fundamentally disordered, unequal, untenable, and oppressive, violent, and murderous to people of color in this country. And in fact, my friends, as injustice, inequity, and disparity grow in our nation, our country, and globally, our nation's investments in policing, in jails, in weapons, and warfare all grow exponentially. Seeking to protect profit motives, seeking desperately to preserve order in this disordered system. Seeking to protect profit and the privilege of a few over human lives and human dignity. It begs the question, would we need such investments in warfare if we had justice and equity for all? Would we need those investments if justice was real for all people? That's right. We've got to deconstruct the way we look. We, I, as a white person, have to deconstruct the way I have seen the police. It was so important to be in Charlottesville and to be there with Unitarian Universalists from across the South and East. Y'all showed up so powerfully, so courageously. Ministers and lay people who came to support the local organizations, the local congregations, and to be in solidarity and witness to the larger community. And your UUA was there as well, invisible and behind the scenes, providing support to organizers and staying after for trauma response and pastoral care to the community. This is one of the ways that we can hold each other as a collective faith in this time. And I know from my own ministry in Phoenix and in the struggle for immigrant rights and in combating the abuses of Sheriff Joe Arpaio, that the power of the UUA and our shared faith when we show up for and with one another in times of crisis is unbelievable and it makes a difference. That was another heartbreaking thing. Those of you who know me must know how that blow felt when our president pardoned Joe Arpaio.
Well, we are getting more and more opportunities to show up for and with one another. Because we all know this isn't just about Charlottesville. As a people of faith that say we are committed to justice, compassion, and equity in human relations, as a faith that says we are committed to the inherent worth and dignity of all people, as a faith that says we are committed to respect for the interdependent web of all life, we have a role to play. Our faith is calling more from us in this time. And two things are absolutely clear to me right now. Number one, this is no time for a casual faith or a casual commitment to your values, your community, your church, your congregation, your soul, and your faith. No time for a casual faith. And number two, this is no time to go it alone or to think that we are in this alone. This is no time for a casual faith. As Unitarian Universalists, we are first and foremost religious communities. Religious communities that practice love as our foundation. And we are living in times of heartbreak, violence, and pain. And in this time, we need communities that remind us of our humanity. Because the time we are living in is incredibly dehumanizing. Not just these times, all times, but these times are urgent. These times are urgent. Fifty years ago, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was asking what it would take for the United States to turn away from the giant evils of racism, militarism, and economic exploitation that he understood were deeply interrelated and infecting so much of our society. And he said that what it would take would be a powerful, unconditional, overflowing goodwill for all people, a universal love for humanity. He called this kind of love agape love. And he said it very well could be the salvation of human civilization. Agape love. King said of agape love that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. Agape is the love of God operating in the human heart. I hope, you know, whatever your theology, whatever your belief or non-belief, you can hear the power of that message of helping our hearts embody and practice a deeper, unbounded, unconditional, overflowing, audacious love for all humanity. And we need communities that teach us how to love with this fullness in the midst of the propaganda and the politics that tell our hearts to be afraid. We also need communities where we can fully bring our heartbreak in the fullness of our pain and anguish, and be reminded that we are not alone, but that we are held by a love that never lets us go. And we are held by one another, and we will never let go. We need communities of both courage and deep-practiced compassion, of resilience and resistance, and we need to nurture and build this in our children. I know we may not all, well, 
What I want to say is we may not all be able to be on the streets in places like Charlottesville and Ferguson, but I, I don't want you to hear that as letting you off the hook. I, I actually... <laughs> I mean, some people are dying. Some people are ill. Some people have to be more careful with the police because of their identity, their status. So I don't want you to let that off. Let you let don't let you don't you hear me? Let you off the hook. That's what I'm saying. But we all have a vital role to play. And we need more people showing up in Charlottesville and Ferguson and on the border and in San Diego on July 2nd and in Washington, D.C. on June 30th, right? We need more people showing up on the streets in all kinds of ways and not being silent. We also all have a vital role to play in making a stronger commitment to build something new in our communities, in our congregations, to make a stronger commitment to nurture healthy, vital, radically inclusive communities, and the powerful practice of this faith that helps us build a courageous and fierce embodied love and nurtures what is best in us as human beings. I know from talking with many of you that when you witnessed what happened in Charlottesville, you turned to your congregations for healing and to hold the trauma. But where we want to be a, sol a salve to the wounds of the world, we, uh, we also must be a mirror to our own infliction of wounds. Right? And this is what Brittany Packnett was talking about last night. Right about realizing that we reinforce supremacy and uphold it in ways we may not always realize, and that we all can fall victim to leaning back into moderation, right, and the comfort of life. We need communities that are really building something new, places of abundant love and deep justice. My prayer for we as an association of congregations and communities is that we answer both calls to hold each other in times of pain and to hold each other to account in acts of courageous love when our institutions create harm, in acts of courageous truth-telling when we as individuals inflict harm. Ours has never been a monolithic faith, and it does not have to be limited by the monocultural roots of its past. The promise of our faith means liberating ourselves from systems of dominance and exploitation that we all suffer under. The promise of our faith means making compassion a way of being. It means creating a collective sense of both community and responsibility. It holds the vision of a yet unrealized future where our collective survival, our liberation, and a practice of our, the fullness of our theology is possible. Now, when we stepped onto the streets in Charlottesville as faith leaders, we knew that our safety could not be guaranteed nor expected. We knew we were putting our lives at risk. Our faith, the call to love, that love is stronger than hate, gave us strength. But something else gave us strength, and that was the fact that we were not alone. 
Friends, this is no time to try to go it alone. We need to be building the strength of our communities, even as we are resisting in the larger world. We as individual congregations can't be in this struggle alone. We as UUs can't be in this struggle alone. I was strengthened by the faith leaders who I stood shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, Christian, Jew, Muslim, Unitarian Universalist, siding with love. Now is the time to get proximate and get closer and build stronger bridges across our faith, across our congregations, but also in deeper partnership and commitment with those most directly impacted by systems of injustice and oppression. Because here's the thing. Theologically, our universalism says that no one is outside the circle of love, right? However, we must understand that in our lives and in the context of oppression and discrimination, that the circle never gets drawn wider from the center. The circle grows wider because the people who live at the margins, at the edges, who see how exclusion is happening, are leading and organizing and working to break those walls down. Right? So, so we all have to be standing in the margins, pushing for greater liberation for all people. That is the way we make the circle wide. This time we are living in is one of tremendous opportunity and needed change. And the health and strength of our communities and our commitment to this theology of love and justice and interdependence is crucial. And I know it's calling more from all of us. And I know the strain that that can feel. And I know the strain of the daily despair and heartbreak but I also know that our faith is strong. And that if we let ourselves be held by it, it will give us what we need to keep on moving forward. And I know that we can hold one another in this work. We have been readying for it, my friends. We have been readying for years to grow our muscles for resistance and for courage and for solidarity. And I know this work, I know this moment that we are in, and it's not just this moment. It's many moments moving to this time that it's going to change us. The work ahead is going to change us deeply. And that's why we are a living tradition, right? Because we don't need to be held by the past. We are always looking for the new revelation to guide our hearts and our spirits and to walk into something new. Right? I, look, no, I see that day when we will look back and see the changes we have made in our hearts, in our communities, in the practice of our faith and theology. And this won't come from some casual practice. Right? Or casual commitment. It will only take a greater commitment and generosity to one another and our communities that sustain courage and love. And it will mean new ways of living our faith. It will mean letting go in order to say yes. To reach out more boldly, lovingly, and faithfully with one another for justice. And it will take each of us finding our own call, our work, our place in the struggle where our gifts can help bring something new, something life-giving into this world. 
May the spiritual community that we practice, may the spiritual communities that you lead and practice in in your homes, in your hometowns, may it strengthen all of our hearts. May it give us courage. May we not be silent or shrink back from the demands of love. And may we hold one another as we follow new pathways of joy, of community, of change, of the unknown. And may we all be held by that deep practice of agape love that stirs in each and every one of our hearts. May it be so. Amen. We pause in our video service to affirm this community with its weekly ritual of coming forward with your own heartfelt joys and concerns. As you come forward in the center aisle, feel free to pick up a pebble or two and drop them into the waters, the waters that are really representing the oceans of mercy the oceans of compassion, the oceans that are within each of our hearts that are boundless. We also, starting this week, offer another opportunity for you. Last week, we started tying ribbons to these branches. You might be wondering what that's about. After you've finished your um, pebbles, if you so choose, you're invited to tie a ribbon. These ribbons are in solidarity with all who are helping with family separation, as illustrated by these disappeared children, part of the art from the rally yesterday here in Anchorage. It's also to remember those families. They are not disappeared in our hearts. This is a way of making our love visible. So as you feel moved, please come forward and we'll enjoy some music from General Assembly while we come forward.
I'll add one last pebble for all of our joys and sorrows that are held in our heart but haven't found their way to be expressed. This community is a self-supporting community, as are all Unitarian Universalist congregations throughout the world. Your generosity makes this community possible. And this community has a lovely tradition of sharing half of its plate every week with an organization outside of these walls, an organization that supports our values and helps us live our values by expressing great generosity together. The month of July will be supporting the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. They are already working at the border. They have had some long-standing relationships with various organizations who are helping these very immigrants that we're concerned about at the border. Your generosity will go directly to support that effort. May the offering now be taken and gratefully received. I believe we've got some more music from General Assembly coming our way.
chosen to side with age of compassion. What gives me hope is congregations that say yes, yes to This is no time for a casual faith. We must pull together the pieces of our broken hearts and expand our ability to love. Together, we must seek the higher ground and wake up our spirits. Together, we can find the sources of life-giving hope and resilience. In our faith, we can testify to the struggle for justice, which gives us strength and power. An everlasting life. There is more love somewhere. What gives me there hope is, is that in spite of our brokenness, ours is a renewing, redeeming, and covenanting faith that has chosen to side with love. So we must take every opportunity to live into this promise. There is more what gives me hope are those times when somewhere. justice meetings actually feel alive. When you've got people of many generations and at least a few religions, races, and cultures sitting together, singing, sharing stories, and figuring out how to reduce the harm. What gives me hope is the future of faith in the world. I believe we're at the dawning of a new age of faith and a more malleable world, an age of compassion. What gives me hope is congregations that say yes, yes to calling ministers with non-white racial identities, queer identities, disability identities, yes to Black Lives Matter and Black Lives of UU, yes to innovative anti-racist collaborations in the wider community, yes to new non-traditional revenue streams, yes to multi-generational community, yes to art, music, dance, and drama, yes, yes, yes. It gives me hope to gather with people of faith, both you use and others, who hold justice, equity, and truth as sacred, and to be strengthened by one another's faith. What gives me hope is experiencing people in worship, turning to each other and co-creating with a divine presence to heal and to be healed. This is our holy work in a bruised and hurting world, that still pulsates with so much beauty. This gives me hope. What gives me hope is each new younger voice raised in resistance and each older voice that speaks with new understanding. What brings me hope is the possibility that this generation of black people may have enough awareness to defend ourselves by any means necessary. What gives me hope is the presence of the eternal love that will not let us go, let us down, or let us off the hook. The love that gives me strength to say yes to life. Somewhere. What gives me hope is the voices that are saying the status quo is not inevitable. What has been for so long is not what will be. And the voices are loud and will not be silenced. 
the veil of false progressiveness has been lifted. And now there is a call to make real what we have promised. theologian James Cone wrote, the passive acceptance of injustice is not the way of human beings, and it is not the way of our Unitarian Universalist faith. Our faith calls us to resilience and to hope, not blind optimism, but to hope, hope as an act of active struggle and commitment, hope in the here and now, hope in what we can achieve together. Hope as resistance to injustice. Hope that calls us on. Hope that calls us on as life calls us on.
Friends, we have made this hall a sacred space. And as we leave this circle today, let us remember to praise this gift of life. May we wonder and marvel at its beauty. May we kindle more joy, more love, and more song into our hearts and into our days. And may we be led out in peace. And may we give back love. People of the world, join hands. Start a love train, love train. People of the world, join hands. Start a love train, love train. People of the world, join hands. Start a love train, love train. going to go on for like 10 minutes. Think of all the people having to leave that hall and they're all doing what we're doing. So we can just hold hands for another moment. And I hope that your week is wonderful. Your 4th of July is joyous. And if you want to have lunch with me, you know where I'll be. Love you all and thank you for joining Thousands and thousands of your fellow UUs. Yay! <laughs>